Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook, and your host for this weekly review of all the latest news and developments affecting the investment trust sector. My thanks to JP Morgan Asset Management for agreeing to sponsor the podcast, which as a result will now remain free for the foreseeable future. Moneymakers is an independent research and publishing venture with a mission to explain and inform. But I must remind you that for regulatory reasons, nothing you hear from any speaker today should be regarded as constituting individual investment advice. Despite a very wet and rainy day, there was a decent turnout for the AIC's Investment Trust Showcase events last Friday, and I managed to cut it up with more than half a dozen of the speakers for a quick insight into their current thoughts. You can hear three of them in this special bonus podcast edition, and the remainder will be featured in the normal podcast at the end of the week. The three I feature this week are all out there to offer income to their shareholders. They are Reese Davis, who runs Invesco Bond Income Plus, ticker BIPS, BIPS, Phil Kent, lead manager of GCP Infrastructure, which specializes in lending to infrastructure businesses, ticker GCP, and finally Simon Gurgel, manager of the Merchants Trust, ticker MRCH, one of the stalwarts of the UK equity income sector and one of the AIC's dividend heroes, meaning they have increased their dividend every year for more than 20 years, and in this case, uh, more than 40 years. Uh, These three trusts offer headline yields, that is, if you look at the figures quoted by the AIC in their daily statistics, of around 7%, 11%, and 5.5% respectively. But of course, in all these cases, you have to look quite deeply at the numbers to work out precisely what the underlying yield and performance potential of these trusts are. As with John Barron's thoughts at the weekend, please be aware that there is unavoidably background noise in these conversations as they were recorded live at the event. My first protocol was to uh, Reese Davis, as I said, the manager of the Invesco Bond Income Plus Trust, which featured not so long ago in the podcast. And I asked him to give me an update on where he thought we were in the bond market cycle, given the continued rise in yields. Are we actually near peak interest rates as uh, everyone hopes, but not everybody believes we are about to get? Yeah, I still think we're a lot closer to peak rates than we were a while ago. There are lots of things to worry about out there at the moment, as you've alluded to. Actually, kind of the worse the world gets, it's kind of better perversely for government bond yields. And that is what we are pricing credit markets, high yield markets off. We've seen government bond yields in the US, the UK, or the US especially, hitting new highs again. So highs that we haven't seen since pre-financial crisis. 5% on 10-year US treasuries is a lot higher than many people thought we'd ever get to, a couple of years ago thought we'd ever get to this quickly. From my perspective, I think we're still focused on credit, we're still focused on credit risks, getting some good coupons, some good yields from companies. The new issuance market has slowed down given the volatility that we've had in rates, when I say rates, I mean government bond yields, over the past couple of months. And the new issuance market typically slows down over the summer holidays anyway. So we do have a summer lull. So we haven't seen that many new deals come into the market that I'm getting excited about. But still, we're in that phase where companies come into the market with new high bonds, are still paying attractive levels of uh, coupon and these are typically the better quality companies that are what returning sort of, to market. What sort of coupons are you talking about? Uh, we're talking eight handle quite easily. Eight, eight percent nine. or more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, 
can't remember if I spoke about this in the podcast, maybe not, but BT, for example, issued a bond that's callable in five years with a coupon of eight and three eighths percent coupon. So that's a pretty attractive level of income to be getting from BT, which is investment grade rated. This particular bond is high yield just, so it's good quality high yield. From our perspective, that's a very nice place to be investing. And looking at uh, your portfolio overall, we talked about this when we uh, talked earlier the other day, you were mentioning the significant implicit or implied yields from that uh, portfolio. So has that changed at all, that outlook? If you account for gearing, you're talking about somewhere north of 10%? Yeah, that's right. No, that hasn't changed. So that story, I think, is still intact. For us, it's about having a, a portfolio that could survive a potentially weaker economic environment. So we've still got that. It wasn't that long ago that we, that we spoke. We haven't rushed out into the riskier parts of the market simply because we don't need to. We can get good levels of yield from better quality high yield, like the BT that I mentioned, even investment grade, but better quality high yield, giving us good levels of yield. And we haven't got to go too far out in maturity either. So still got a portfolio that is thinking about the potential risks in future. So not banking on a major recession, not banking on a soft landing necessarily, but just thinking about the risks that are out there given the very rapid rate hiking cycle we've just been through and the potential lag that that will have, the economic impact, the economic fallout that that will have on our markets and on economies. So if we're talking about risk, from your perspective and the perspective of your trust, what is a worse outcome? Is it actually inflation settling at 4% or is it actually a recession? I'm not saying either of those will happen for sure, but people are talking about those possibilities. Yeah, if you talk about inflation settling at 4%, I mean, would it settle there if we are falling rapidly then you know what's to stop it from settling at four or even two or even continuing further so if you're going to put a figure on it then four percent i think i can live with that so i'm getting yields to compensate me for four percent inflation for sure already recession risk yes you know we invest in credit that means typically companies uh thinking about the credit risk of the companies that we're lending to if you have a recession, credit risk goes up. You need to be paid more compensation. Again, today we are getting a lot more yield compensation than we did have two years ago. So we are getting that yield that we need to earn for the risk of recession. So recession will make our life harder. We'll have to navigate that. We'll have to think about the potential impact on some of the weaker credits in the portfolio. But as I say, on the whole, the portfolio is pretty well positioned, I think. It's pretty cautiously positioned for that. So final question. I mean, last year, 2022, was a bit of a bloodbath for the bond market and for bond investors. We're not going to see another year like that? I don't think we should see another year like that. I mean, last year, if you think about the the conditions that set us up for that, they were fairly unique. So we reached a point where yields were at exceptionally low levels. So there just wasn't the compensation from yields for the risks of investing, whether that was credit risk or inflation risk and rates rising. So we came into the year with inflation being fueled by all of the spending that we've seen and the supply issues that we've seen and in a pretty poor place in terms of the yields and what was being priced in in terms of inflation in those yields. Last year was tough and I would say to anyone that got hurt last year, you know, don't shy away from the bond market because we have been through a major repricing and so we are in a different position this year. The inflation outlook is arguably better and certainly the yield compensation you're getting is much better and it's not only compensating you for the risk of inflation but also the risks of surprises along the way in a way that just was not possible at the start of 22. Next up was Phil Kent, manager of GCP Infrastructure. 
which specialises in debt lending to infrastructure businesses and is a substantial trust with assets of around a billion pounds, uh, but it's been trading at a significant discount of more than 40%. I started off, though, by asking Phil to comment on the state of play with the two trusts that GCP manage, and which were recently the subject of a proposed merger, which in the end, however, is not going ahead. That merger being between GCP infrastructure and GCP asset-backed income which uh, specialises in a different form of debt and is much smaller than GCP infrastructure itself. Yeah, hi, Jonathan. So in terms of the status of, of both trusts we manage, GCP Infrastructure IPO'd in 2010, um, it's got total assets of about 1.1 billion. It's been paying a stable, sustainable income for the last 13 years. There's nothing in the context of the underlying portfolio of assets that has changed. I'd argue those assets are in as good a place as they've ever been. 99% of the fund is operational and, and operational really well. From the asset back fund perspective, so the other trust that we manage at Gravis, that is a shorter duration trust. We've seen quite a lot of cash expected to come back to that trust over the next 12 to 18 months. And as you rightly say, we, we put forward a proposal to shareholders to merge the two trusts together and going back to August. That kicked off a, a period of fairly detailed shareholder engagement by both boards and, and Gravis, the results of which were a fairly diverse set of shareholder views, I think. On balance, a lot of shareholders are supportive. I think the message we've had from shareholders is whilst our trusts and, and many like it are trading at large discounts to net asset value, the model might be broken and there might be a need to, to do something different and take a look at things in a certain way. And that was very much the approach that we were taking and, and trying to be proactive about putting proposals to shareholders. I think the particular challenge that I, I have a lot of sympathy for was investors bought into one risk and a merger clearly gives them a slightly different risk profile. And I guess the other was given Gabby's shorter duration, the possibility to go into managed runner for that fund is, I guess, the alternative scenario that investors have to consider when, when they're looking at the prospects for the company. As far as your trust is concerned, it's, it's business as usual. So I think in terms of what we're doing at Gravis for both trusts, it's exactly delivering on the strategy that we've set out, which in the current market is capital reallocation. So how quickly can we turn over the funds? How quickly can we de-gear? How quickly can we give capital back to shareholders to, to reallocate capital, recognising there's been a fairly fundamental shift in the wider macro environment? And that's the same on, on both trusts. So what might that involve as far as your trust is concerned? Obviously, you said that the shares have gone to a big discount mm -hmm. uh, in common with a lot of other trusts, of course, but particularly in anything to do with infrastructure seems yeah. to be particularly badly affected. So what are the kind of options? Well, you're going yeah. to pay dividend, but you might be buying back shares or what else is, might be on the table? Debt, you might be repaying debt? Or so repaying debt, I think, yeah. is, is makes a lot of sense. The debt is costing in the region 8% all in, so the benefits we're getting for that, in my view, don't outweigh the cost necessarily. Yeah. I think there's also a perception of risk of that debt in, in a, a potentially capital-constrained market your ability to, to refinance that. I think that said, I'd be very optimistic about our ability to raise debt in infrastructure, renewables, real assets. I think if anything, that's an area we're seeing strong appetite from lenders to double down in rather than withdraw from like perhaps we saw in 2008 and was indeed the original thesis for, for this fund. So I think D-Lever is absolutely something we're focused on. Buying back shares is something we've been doing and, and will continue to do. I think it's hard to argue how new investment activity is a use for cash and is better than buying your own risk at a 30 to 40% discount in a in 
imply 10 to 11 percent yield so buying back shares and we hope those things will we think that's sensible capital reallocation and then ultimately we hope to be in a position where we can use cash proceeds to reinvest at prevailing market returns and and reset the portfolios to a relevant risk return in the current market um, and that will happen over over time and actually i think on both trusts gravis has a good track record of accelerating that capital redeployment quite quickly over the last four or five years we've turned over almost 400 million pounds on gcp infrastructure so almost 40 percent of the portfolio in terms of reinvesting at, at prevailing market rates. And what is the current yield and what does the board say of anything about where you might go from here as far as that's concerned? So dividends on GCP infrastructure, we're uh, targeting seven pence per share per year. That's around a 10.8% dividend yield on current share price. And we think that's a really attractive entry point for, for new investors. In terms of where the dividend goes next, I think we've always set out to establish a dividend target that we aim to keep stable over the medium term we set the current dividend back in in may 2020 i think in the current market and given the underlying portfolio and how that's performing i think there's a strong case to look at that in due course and you'd expect that to realign to the prevailing market and i think there should be upward pressure on the dividend if the portfolio continues to perform upward pressure on the dividend i see i get that so one final question then in terms of the nav i mean a lot of infrastructure trusts obviously there are questions around whether the nav is right or not but that doesn't really apply to you, or does it? What's the dynamics of that as far as you're concerned? Because things you own, or the loans you make, or uh, are priced to market, or are they basically? Yes, yeah, so I think it is a very relevant question, and it's a challenge we, we get a lot. I think the biggest thing I can do is, is go out and prove that it's the right valuation point. And recently we announced the refinance of £85 million of loans against two wastewood biomass projects at par, so at the NAV, rather than the implied valuation that the share price might suggest. And in addition to that, we actually received around... 12 million pounds of early prepayment fees. So uh, not only prove NAV that that was the right valuation point, but prove that there's value over and above NAV. And I think the more we can continue to do that in different areas of our portfolio, the more I can sit in front of investors and, and argue that NAV is the right valuation point. And a general point I'd make is that we do see renewables infrastructure as being competitive sectors. There's a lot of capital chase in those sectors, particularly capital with an impact focus or a focus on long-dated real assets and predictable cash flows. Infrastructure does have a value that goes over and above just a pure fixed income alternative. It's long dated, it's non correlated, it's resilient, backed by assets, cash flows arising from those assets. So they are attractive assets, and we are seeing market transactions that support the benchmarks of which support the valuation points that we're holding our portfolio at. So, but the more I can go out and prove that to investors, the, the, the better I think. Finally, for this bonus edition of the podcast, I had a chance to speak to Simon Gogol, manager of the Merchants Trust, ticker MRCH, one of the larger trusts in the UK equity income sector. It has a market cap of around $715 million and is currently offering a yield well in excess of 5.5%. I started by uh, asking Simon to comment on the Trust's most recent performance over the last 12 months. It has been disappointing, I suggested, though that did follow an earlier period when the Trust produced some very good results. Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, well, uh, we performed very well the last few years, but this year has been more difficult. I think what we've seen in the market is mid and small size companies in particular really suffering. And actually, we've been buying into that. We've been adding to particularly the mid-cap area of the market. But in the short term, that's been tricky because the market has had a lot of outflows and therefore some of those companies have been very weak. And any company that misses expectations even a little bit can be punished quite hard. So it's been a volatile year. It's been a tricky year for us. But those are the type of situations we've had a number of times before. 
and often they lead to a period of much better performance afterwards because the valuations become quite extreme. So I think I made a note the trust has gone down to the lows of round. It was about 12 months ago during the crisis. So that would be typically a point where you'd hope that it would rebound. What is the trust yielding at the moment? It's nearly five and a half. I don't know the exact number today, but well over five. Which is quite good in historical terms. Absolutely. The board has raised the dividend every year for 41 years. So if you can have a high yield and you can keep growing it, then that could be quite a powerful return for shareholders. And the UK market, obviously, we've been saying for a long time, it looks uh, cheap and unloved in it keeps on remaining cheap and unloved. What do you think the outlook from here? Obviously, we've got a lot of global factors going on, which are going to have an impact. We've got a higher bond yield still. Maybe the Fed isn't done yet. Maybe the Bank of England isn't done yet. And of course, we've got this potentially escalating Middle East situation. So it's a tough, very tough backlog, is it not? I think it's a great opportunity, actually, for investors. Often things look darkest before the dawn, and you do get the best opportunities where markets are out of favour and where there's a lot of uncertainty. Many of the issues and reasons why the UK market have been under pressure have started falling away. For example, we've had a lot of political risk in the last few years. I think we now have both the Conservative and the Labour parties. Policies are very close together. There's not a lot of difference. If we look at the economic growth rate in the UK, it's been very similar to the rest of Europe, which is different to the narrative a few months ago. That's changed. Actually, our economy has grown just as well as most of Europe. And inflation is now following a similar path to the rest of the world. So many of the reasons why people were reluctant to own UK equities, high inflation, low growth, political risk, a lot of those have fallen away. And what you're left with is very low valuations compared to history. The UK is as cheap as it's been on a price-to-earnings ratio for 20 years. At the same time as America is on the highest rating it's been for 20 years, according to Goldman Sachs. And the dispersion of valuations within the market is extremely wide. So as a stock picker, there's fantastic opportunities. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic from here rather than pessimistic. And looking at your portfolio, what's the current valuations on, on your portfolio and how do they compare to the market overall? Obviously, you have a particular style which you follow. Just remind us what that is and, uh, and how it's uh, we, looking at the moment. We're more value orientated. We're looking to buy good companies with strong themes, but when they're cheap, the average price to earnings ratio, how much you pay for a pound of profits, is seven and a half times at the moment, which is incredibly low compared to history. The market's on about 10, which is also pretty low. But that seven and a half, I can't remember seeing a number like that for the whole portfolio. So it really is quite unusual. And that, as you said, is normally a precursor to some relatively strong performance in the years to come. But there is a sort of slight mood around. Everybody's getting rather pessimistic. There are a lot of kind of bad headlines in the world. Do you think that we're looking for some sort of catalyst to change sentiment? Or is it just a question of valuations and, and uh, market movements working their way through? Well, there are economic risks out there. You know, there are geopolitical risks as well, clearly. I think one of the main issues affecting the UK sentiment has been high interest rates and uncertainty over interest rates. And as we get clarity, as inflation continues to fall, hopefully, and the Bank of England can get near to peak interest rates, maybe we're there already, that investors can get more confidence and individuals can have the confidence to take out a mortgage when they know what it's going to cost. And that cost may be a little bit lower than it is today. So I think there's lots of things that can improve sentiment from here. But we probably need a little bit of stability, a little bit of optimism. And maybe the peak in interest rates could be that catalyst. Finally, do you think there are structural issues with the with the UK stock market? You know, the Chancellor made his announcements in the Imagine House speech. Do you think that's a, a valid concern? Is that going to hold back? You know, would you like to get out there and reform the way that the UK stock market works? Or are you? Well, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting. This week there was a headline that the UK has now overtaken France again to be the largest market in Europe. There are challenges with the UK stock market, but there's also a lot of fantastic aspects about the UK stock market. We have some of the best standards of corporate governance and stewardship in the world. 
the rule of law, a lot of history, a very diversified market. It's not a market dominated by one or two companies that make up 20% of the market. It's pretty diversified, a lot of different industries. The takeover, the panel takeover mergers and the competition commission, they're very well understood. The market's open to investors. It's open for corporate activity. The rules are very clear. So yeah, there are things that can definitely be improved and tweaked. But we've also got to be careful to keep some of those strong standards of governance that people actually, investors actually want and, and like. I think the UK has a lot going for it, though clearly at the moment it's been under pressure. But I would say part of that is sort of a cyclical fact because I think some of the things we discussed earlier, some of the concerns people have about the UK economy. Uh, I think the UK market is fundamentally sound as a stock market, but there are areas that could be improved. So that wraps up this short bonus podcast edition. Hope you've enjoyed that and look forward to hearing some of the other speakers' thoughts at the weekend. Thank you for listening. The Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast is independently produced and edited and is listed on all leading podcast channels. You can also sign up at the website money-makers.co to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Please note these podcasts are provided for educational purposes only and nothing you have heard from any of the speakers should be regarded as constituting investment advice. If you want more news, analysis, interviews and other investment trust content, don't forget to look at the Moneymakers Circle, available now for a modest subscription at the website.